1: Hi everyone, welcome to the show. My guest today is Jessie Nchaspé. She has the international best-selling book called The Glucose Revolution. My friend Elijah gave me the book the minute, I mean, I think I was one and a half chapters in and I'm like, oh, I've got to talk to her. Because what I love about this book is, as somebody who's been really, you know, trying to pay attention to taking care of myself and communicating with you guys about this, I don't know that I've spent that much time thinking about my blood glucose levels because I sort of thought, oh, that's for people who have diabetes or for diabetics. And what you realize is that if we can manage our blood glucose levels and avoid those big spikes or have as few of them as possible, not only were our our days most likely have better energy, better sleep, less cravings, but our long-term health will be so supported because so many chronic illnesses can be impacted by our ability to manage our glucose. And I mean, certainly there's so, I mean, it's so achievable. She makes it really clear. For those of you who like hacks, there's tons of hacks. So there's a lot of science. You know, Jesse's not giving you her opinion. This is all science-backed, but she does put a really fun and friendly and kind of obtainable message around this process. And I also think that that's what makes it special. So it's not just the information, but it's her. And I learned a lot and I was inspired to, I've got a NutriSense continuous glucose monitor. I've never done that before. And so I was inspired by this and and, uh, listen, I've been eating my fiber first. I hope you enjoy. All right. So, Jesse, welcome to the show. I'm hoping we can do this in person one time. I would love to. Yeah. Because going you're going to be re- in L.A. in September. I know. I'm excited because a lot of times I do these interviews and I'm like, why didn't I ask that? Why didn't I ask mm-hmm. this? So this is going to be my opportunity. But I, I really appreciate your new book, The Glucose Revolution. I want to dive right into it. You took something that a lot of us know, hear about And you simplified it and you gave very specific, actionable takeaways. So let's let's dive into first your story and how you got to this place of being so interested in, you know, kind of what makes us us and the body and even, you know, how you ended up at 23 and me. Maybe you could just share a little bit of your story and then we'll dive into uh, glucose.
0: Of course. And I also wanted to say thank you so much for sharing my work on your Instagram and everything. I was very honored and grateful. So thank you for being
1: on the team, on the glucose team. Glucose Goddess, for those of you who want to follow, and also you give a lot of information out there on Instagram. You know, for me, it's like if, if you have a good secret, you would tell your friends. And this mm-hmm. book is worthy of people who are just trying to find better ways to, to care for themselves. So thank you, Gabby.
0: So I'll dive right into my story. So I wasn't really that interested in health until I reached the age of 19. And at 19, I had a terrible accident. I broke my back, jumping off a waterfall, of all things. So that sucked. I had really intense surgery, a lot of physical uh, side effects. But most importantly, I really suffered mentally for a very long time. I developed this mental health condition called depersonalization, which I do not recommend. It absolutely sucks. And so for, you know... For a young adult, I was just completely lost. I was anxious. I was depressed. I didn't want to live anymore. I didn't understand my body. I didn't understand how to feel better. And so I couldn't do anything else but go on a journey to try to understand how the heck to wake up in the morning feeling good again. So at that time, I was studying mathematics. And I then went to grad school in the US where I looked into biochemistry. So I got a master's in biochemistry. And then, still searching for answers, I went to Silicon Valley, where I worked in the field of genetics in the startup called 23andMe, which I know you're familiar with, and I was still trying to figure out, you know, what do I need to do to speak to my body? How can I get it to tell me what it needs? Genetics, it turns out, is not that helpful in telling you what you need to do to wake up feeling good in the morning, so I was a little disillusioned, but... As I was there, something remarkable happened that completely changed my life and is the reason I'm here today. I had the opportunity to try a little device called a continuous glucose monitor, and I'm wearing one right now. I know you're familiar with these, Gabby. So little white discs that you wear on the back of your arm that measure continuously your blood glucose levels or your blood sugar levels and send the information to your phone. And these have been developed for people with diabetes in the US, need a prescription to get them. I mean, it's still really early days. But for me, it changed everything. The moment I was able to see on my phone, my glucose levels, it was like I could speak with my body. It was like I could understand what was happening underneath my skin, and I had a way to communicate with it and figure out what was going on and how to help it. And then (laughs) I found out, Gabby, that glucose spikes, which are very rapid increases in glucose concentration underneath your skin, were actually one of the triggers for my depersonalization episodes. And so that just blew my socks right off, and it became so clear I needed to figure out how to avoid these spikes to feel better. And I did, and I was able to heal myself. And now that's what I share with the world.
1: Can we, I want to just sit on that point, because I think a lot of people aren't feeling good. They're walking around. I mean, that's why I even feel like we've been desensitized to the foods we eat, because we don't even know what it feels like to feel good. Mm -hmm. A lot of people. So whether it's, you know, chronic inflammation or something else, When you say, hey, I I wasn't feeling connected to my body, what does that look like? At its core,
0: it was a situation in which I didn't know why I felt certain ways. I didn't know why I was tired, why I was anxious, why I had brain fog, why I had these episodes of depersonalization. I didn't understand why I was craving sweet foods, why I woke up not feeling rested. It was just a complete black box. I had no clue what was happening inside my body, how the inputs, like my food, my lifestyle, the way I was living, was impacting how I felt. I was totally clueless. And I think most of us walk around with this sort of disconnection. We don't understand how what we're doing is affecting us. So often, you know, we medicate symptoms, we suppress symptoms, we ignore symptoms. But actually, what I discovered is that symptoms are your body speaking to you but we just don't know that it's it's language. When you feel exhausted in the middle of the afternoon, when you feel super hungry an hour after you ate, when you have cravings for sweet foods all the time, that's actually probably your body telling you, hey, there's glucose spikes happening here. We need you to help us avoid these. It's your
1: body trying to signal something's wrong. Yeah, and I think and one of the things I appreciate about this is I think it's sort of like, if you can solve this mystery, I feel like that that could impact 25 other things that people are ex- experiencing. So in the book, you you sort of break it up into three parts and you you sort of start off like, well, what is glucose? And, and so I always like to try to get people to understand everything at kind of a, you know, just a really basic level, because I think most of us are already, I think a lot of people feel overwhelmed. So it's like, if you can give it, and you did this so well, where it's like, this is glucose. So maybe we can just first start with what is glucose. So people know what it is that they're trying to, you know, regulate.
0: Yes. So glucose is your body's preferred energy source. So every single cell in your body you pick, uses glucose to perform a function. So your heart cells use glucose to pump blood around your body. Your brain cells use glucose to think. Your feet cells use glucose to dance. Every single one of your cells in your body uses glucose to make you live, essentially. And the main way that we get glucose is through the foods that we eat that are either starchy or sweet. So starchy or sweet foods are a really easy, quick source of glucose. And so with that information in mind, you might think, okay, well, if glucose is energy and I get it through starchy and sweet foods, if I eat more of those foods, that'll give me more energy and that'll be good, right? Actually, that's not the case because you can have too much of a good thing. So it's sort of the same thing as if you give a plant too much water and it drowns, or you give a human too much oxygen and they pass out. Well, if you give your body too much glucose, bad stuff starts happening, and I found through my own research, Gabby, that 90% of us experience everyday glucose spikes, which are very rapid deliveries of glucose to the system. And most of us don't even know that we're experiencing these glucose spikes, but we're very familiar with the symptoms. So the most common symptoms are unsteady energy, so feeling tired throughout the day, having cravings for sweet foods, being hungry every 90 minutes, having acne, having a lot of wrinkles, having hormonal issues like difficult menopause symptoms or polycystic ovarian syndrome, not sleeping well, having mental health disturbances, and then long-term developing type 2 diabetes or other chronic illnesses. So we're talking a lot of influence. These glucose spikes have a lot of influence, but for the longest time we thought only diabetics should care about their glucose levels, but now we know it's not the case. We need to regulate those glucose levels to feel better, and it's not hard. That's the whole philosophy that I'm here to talk about. It's not difficult. It's as easy as, for example, eating your foods in the right order or other hacks that I'm sure we'll touch on.
1: Yeah, you have. I I appreciate at the end of the book. and, And these are the types of books that I always say to people, these are actually great books to physically have, so you can go back if you forget something or reference something. And at the end of the book, you make it clear as day, with very specific hacks on, on how to get into this. I think it's important too, because you, you say that, Oh, a lot of people think, Oh, it's only for, for diabetics, but really a lot of us are just living in this, in these constant spikes and the long-term effects are, I think the thing that it, it's funny when I read stuff like this at my age, I'm like, wait, have I been blowing it? Like my entire adult life. I mean, I'm, I'm pretty health conscious, but even learning some of the nuances about these food orders and things like that, you're like, oh, I could have maybe been doing that better for for 20 years. So this is something a real opportunity for people to either kind of course correct or you know start on better habits. I was even talking to my 14 year old daughter, my youngest daughter, and she, you know, you have to be really careful. Like she has a f- few blemishes, and yeah, she, certainly it's there's some hormone stuff going on. But I also know some of the snacky foods that she's eating, and I try not to. Um, prohibit these too much because I have also older daughters and you realize they have to go through this ex- experiments and experiment of like, maybe I, when I eat this, I see it come out on my skin or I don't feel my best or even going to the bathroom or whatever. Right. So yesterday we were in the car and I said, listen, I'm just going to drop off an idea, do what you want with it. Um, Cause this kid eats really well overall, but they're friends. Like it's like a cultural thing. Like they do like weird chips and weird stuff. And I did the same thing. But I said, if for some reason you're going to eat those weird talky, whatever they are, maybe just shove some vegetables in your mouth before you do it. And that's how like mm-hmm. that's how you talk to a 14-year-old, right? You don't go like, let me talk to you about glucose. But I just said, for just for whatever reason, because then that would impact how your food is absorbed and digested. And it might be better in your energy and skin. Like you try to be really subtle because girls are going to be like, well, what's wrong with my skin, right? So it's all about even in that it's like so digestible so you know you you say people don't realize that this is the constant roller coaster every day like even in the morning let's just start there it's mm-hmm. like not putting yourself straight into having a baked muffin You're in France, so I can imagine all the things you have to walk by. Um, But you know, Gabby, at this point, so one of the hacks that I think you're
0: alluding to is have a savory breakfast instead of a sweet one, because if you have a sweet breakfast, that creates a huge glucose spike in your body. And then we actually know from the science that it impacts the rest of your day, you start the cravings roller coaster. You feel really hungry and then you're exhausted and you need more sugar to pick you up. So at equal calories, it's not a calorie thing. Having a breakfast that will not create a glucose spike really helps you be set up for success for the rest of the day. And so, you know, I am in France right now uh, and actually I don't even want to eat sweet pastries in the morning anymore because I know it's going to make me feel like absolute crap. and I'm the kind of person when I was young, I used to eat a Nutella crepe every morning for breakfast and then I was in school and I was famished at 11 a.m. I thought it was normal. My entire childhood and you know teenage years, I was famished at 11 a.m because I was eating something sweet in the morning, spiking my glucose, and then crashing an hour and a half later. so that's something I would never go back on. And to the point of what you said to your daughter, if I do want to eat something sweet, uh, let's say I want to have like a pain au chocolat in the afternoon, yeah. I will avoid eating it on an empty stomach because that's one of the key principles. If you're going to eat something sweet, make sure there's something else in your stomach before. Maybe it's some protein like some eggs. Maybe it's some vegetables because the fiber in the vegetables helps you not absorb all the sugar. Um, and that's been a really wonderful hack. So you can still eat the sweet stuff you love, but with fewer consequences on your mood, on your hunger, on your cravings, on your skin, on your aging.
1: And that's the thing I think is just important is, is sometimes people might say, oh, well, I can't do this for the whole day. So let's just say, if you can start with doing it right in the morning, let's start there. And then, you know, I would encourage people to, to go from there. You mentioned in your book, uh, Robert, Dr. Lustig, who I, I know, Dr. Lustig, and he had a great lecture called The Bitter Truth and um, really got into when he was studying child obesity just changing the sugar content of certain foods, um, not even changing, you know, unhealthy for healthy or even calorie, but just some of the sugary, like a bagel versus which you wouldn't encourage people really to eat on the regular basis, but that instead of something like a sugary pastry, how that impacted, you know, the, the glucose levels and fatty liver disease and all these things. So The thing is, is I think once people can understand this really and how they can practice this in their everyday life, it will give them so much, so much power. So, let's go over to why a flatter glucose level, the cr- curve. Let's move over to how it impacts us, because I think people, diabetics, are much more familiar with insulin, insulin resistance, and what that really does for the body. But, you know, chronic inflammation and not being able to lose weight, I think, really irritates people beyond feeling lethargic, or not sleeping well, or not looking how they feel that they wanna look. So maybe just explain to, to us just exactly what these spikes, what's happening and how this impacts us.
0: So every time you experience a glucose spike, there are two main mechanisms that happen that then lead to all the consequences I just mentioned. And the first thing that happens is that as glucose rushes into your bloodstream, it goes to your cells because there it's supposed to be converted into energy so that you can dance or your heart can pump or whatever. So all the glucose rushes to the mitochondria in your cells because the mitochondria are supposed to turn glucose into energy. The issue is mitochondria do not like having too much glucose come their way. They become overwhelmed. They go on strike, they shut down, they just cannot handle a huge influx of glucose, it's too much for them. So they just shut down and get stressed. And this is bad because one, they're not able to make energy anymore, so you don't feel energized, you feel tired. And two, as your mitochondria shut down and get stressed, they release these molecules called free radicals. And free radicals cause a lot of damage. Anything a free radical touches, it damages. So if a free radical touches your DNA, it might make a mutation that might lead to cancer. If a free radical touches one of your cell membranes, it will poke a hole in that cell and damage it. And so over time, too many free radicals leads to this state called oxidative stress. And that leads to chronic inflammation. And as you mentioned, you know, chronic inflammation is a huge issue. Three out of five people in the world will die of an inflammation-based disease. And it's really, it creates a terrain for so many bad things to happen in your body, for inability to lose weight, for, you know, chronic illnesses. Everything from heart disease to cancer to Alzheimer's are all linked to inflammation. So that's the first reason glucose spikes are not good, because they cause chronic inflammation. And the second is- reason, Yeah.
1: Isn't it uh, – I think it's true that once also you – if you damage a mitochondria or it dies, you don't get that one back. You don't get that battery yep. back. I mean you can get them to to split and and you sort of – You can get new ones. You can get new ones, but I think once one dies, um, you lose that one.
0: Yes, but it's kind of like your cells. so you can even get way more mitochondria than ever before if you flatten your glucose curves and overall have like twice the amount you used to have. So it's not over. You can always get better. That particular one might die, but you have the option to make loads of new ones. Yeah. So, so no worries there. Yeah. The body is able to do that, which is very good because otherwise you might um, burn through those batteries really quickly. <laughs> no, but it's cool because it's, you know, we have power to reverse the issue and to actually feel better. So it's, there's a lot of hope in the science, and
1: that's why I want then to the, remind people because a lot of times people think, "Oh, I've already destroyed things, or I'm damaged, or what have you." So the second, the second reason,
0: sorry, the second reason is aging. So every time there's a glucose spike that happens in your body. I know you're making big eyes, I know it's scary, but don't worry, there's things you can do and it's easy, but we're going to get through the bad stuff and then I'm going to tell you all the hopeful things. So the second thing that happens every time a glucose spike takes place in your body is that glucose kind of runs around in your body like a child on a playground, it just like bumps into everything, it's running in all directions, and every time a piece of glucose, a molecule of glucose, bumps into another molecule, it does this thing called glycation. It basically cooks the other molecule. So if you put a chicken in the oven and it goes from white to brown, that's cooking and that's the same thing that happens in your body every day. And the faster you cook, the faster you age. And then once you're fully cooked, you die. That is actually what happened. I know it blew my mind when I realized this. It's such, a, it's such a simple image. So you're cooking, and the more glucose spikes you have, the faster you cook. And you see this externally, so wrinkles on your face, but also internally, your organs start getting damaged. So all in all, bad stuff happens when there's a glucose spike. It's even worse if you eat something sweet, because in sweet foods, there's also fructose on top of just glucose, which is what Dr. Lustig discovered. And that's why one of my hacks is if you want to have a snack, have something savory instead of something sweet, because you'll cause less damage. So it's all terrible and awful, and we want to avoid these spikes. But I discovered through my scientific research that there are really simple principles you can put in place to start reversing all that damage without going on a terrible diet, without giving up all the foods you love. And you can really quite quickly heal yourself from the inside out. And the testimonials I get every day are really incredible. Like
1: many, many things get better when you flatten your glucose curves. And I I really, and again, I don't want to, I'm not, I'm more of a person who wants to talk about vitality and health because I feel like in order of things, when we can get certain things lined up, other things will take care of themselves like weight loss and such. But I do want to remind people that I don't think, I, I think it's almost impossible to get to a place where you can lose the weight you're looking to without figuring out how to flatten your glucose spike. So I am saying that now because if that's something that motivates people so be it. I get it. It's like, if you said to me, Gabby, your skin, I'd be like, I'm all over it. So whatever, you know, sort of like whatever it takes, because usually I, I sort of say, okay, let's, let's get into our reasons, our whys and, um, you know, the, the bigger, deeper reasons. But if it's like, Hey, listen, if you really want to try to conquer this idea of not feeling totally inflamed all the time and figuring out a way to really lose weight, I, I think this is a very, very powerful tool. Um, And you talk about, speaking of that, you would rather that people sort of look at their waist size, that's more effective than the BMI, as far as losing weight and and things like that.
0: Yeah, waist size is a better predictor of underlying health issues. So for example, it's a better predictor of visceral fat. BMI is not that helpful. You know, it was invented by a mathematician, it was just a statistics thing, but Two people can have the exact same BMI, and one can have a really healthy functioning body and a lot of muscle, and the other one can have a lot of visceral fat and fatty liver disease, so it doesn't really tell you anything. It's kind of like, you know, the, the weight on the scale. It doesn't tell you anything about what's going on within. But as you mentioned, I think if you focus on health, if you understand the biology behind glucose levels and why it's going to help you so much things will fall into place as you focus on your health. So I get a lot of messages from people saying, I just focused on getting my glucose level steady so I could feel better and have more energy and be happier. And then I lost all this weight without even trying to. But it's not the objective, this is not a diet. This is really about health.
1: Right, but I I think it's also sort of reinforcing to people that there are so many real benefits from this. I, I do want to point out a couple of things that fructose versus glucose um, you can measure your your glucose it is more challenging to to measure your fructose yeah, and it's we can, like 10, essentially ten times more damaging yeah so I'm, I'm only bringing that up because I know we're going to get into the the role of, of, of uh, sucrose and fructose but to remind people that it's literally, 10 times more damaging than glucose. And you're giving us the lowdown on glucose and we can measure it. And it's still giving people, um, you know, kind of the heads up and the importance on on fructose. And also, you might, if people start monitoring and you see that you might be eating foods that don't give you glucose spikes, it doesn't mean that the foods are healthy. Exactly. So there are a lot of
0: caveats here on the fructose thing completely. So and whenever every time you eat something sweet and it makes a glucose spike that so you can see if you're wearing a glucose monitor, just know there's also an invisible fructose spike happening because anything that tastes sweet contains fructose. And then yes, glucose is not everything. So some foods will keep your glucose levels completely steady but can cause health side effects. For example, alcohol will mostly keep your glucose levels steady or will help flatten the glucose curve of a meal, which does not mean it's good to add alcohol to your meal. Like, <laughs> so that's one example. And then unhealthy fats like trans fats or very highly processed foods that have been fried in vegetable oils, that kind of stuff, will keep your glucose levels steady because fats does not raise glucose levels. That doesn't mean they're good for you. So, What I want people to remember is that one in the book, I lay all this out and I do all the work for you. All the hacks keep all of these things into account. And then if you're somebody who has a glucose monitor, just have a little look at the first section of my book where I explain glucose is not everything so that you can see the pitfalls to avoid. Because it can be quite confusing to try to interpret your own data without much context or education.
1: Right. And that's why I just bring those up, because I feel like those are some really important supportive parts. And and there's even things in the book where if you want to get into it, because I personally have very, very high cholesterol, I always have genetically. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, I've had to learn the real difference of, you know, large particle, cholesterol, small particle. So I would encourage people, um, if they're also navigating blood work and things like that, to your book has a lot of information on that. So Let's talk about how you can flatten it, because this is, this is the good news, and if, if maybe we could just break down the relationship of glucose, sucrose, and and uh, fructose, because that also gets, I think people get like, uh, well, which one is which and when, and, you know, one has fiber, when it doesn't have fiber, things like that.
0: Sure. So the scientific nomenclature is not very um, friendly, so I'm going to try to make it as simple as possible. So glucose is basically what you find in starchy foods. So every time you eat bread or pasta or rice or potatoes, tortilla chips, that's just basically molecules of glucose attached together that break down in your stomach into individual glucose molecules and they can create a glucose spike. Sucrose is table sugar. It's the white powdery stuff that you bake cakes with. Now sucrose, let's just call it table sugar, we don't have to call it sucrose because it makes it even more confusing. Table sugar, if you look at it under a microscope, you will see that it is half glucose, half fructose. And the fructose is what makes it taste sweet. And so when you eat table sugar, the fructose and the glucose molecules separate and in your body there's going to be a glucose spike and a fructose spike happening at the same time but we can only see the glucose on a continuous glucose monitor so that's the lowdown i hope i made it simple
1: very simple and <laughs> you know in nature sweet was was safe it that's you know it was it was not poisonous and that's i part of besides it tastes great because that was to also make it appealing but people have to realize that when they're eating processed foods and what have you it's not it we're geared to eat as much of it as we can, but I think it's things to be to be careful of so we can dive right into just some of your your hacks because you have quite a few of them and you don't we don't have to do all of them um, but I, I think some of the basic ones are just really really helpful and really clear.
0: yeah, so I can start with probably my favorite one, or the most surprising one, which is how to eat your food in the right order. Mm -hmm. So the science shows us that when you're about to have a meal, if you eat the constituents of that meal in a specific order, you can reduce the glucose spike of the meal by 75%. So you're eating the exact same meal, but the glucose spike is 75% smaller. So less inflammation, less weight gain, less aging, less, less health problems. It's very powerful. And the correct order is the following. vegetables first, proteins and fats second, and starches and sugars last. So let's say you're having a meal that contains some fish, some asparagus, it's asparagus season, some rice, some avocado, and then a piece of fruit. The right order to eat that meal in for your glucose levels is asparagus first, then the fish and the avocado, then the rice, and then the piece of fruit. And this is very powerful for your body because vegetables contain fiber. Fiber is a magical, magical thing. If vegetables are the first thing that you eat during a meal, the fiber in them is going to arrive into your stomach first then it's going to make its way to your upper intestine. And there, it's going to create this protective mesh on the walls of your intestine. And that mesh is going to stay there and is going to prevent your body from absorbing too much of the glucose and fructose coming through later in the meal. So you're still eating the starchy and sweet foods later, but your body is simply not absorbing as many of those molecules as it would have if you had eaten those first. That's the first reason it works. Second reason it works is because proteins and fats, so here the fish and the avocado, slow down the speed at which foods get digested in your body. So any glucose and fructose that comes from the rice and the fruits will be digested slower, and then once it makes its way to the intestine, won't be absorbed as much. So the glucose spike is 75% smaller very impactful. You can start it today.
1: You will feel a difference in your energy levels and your cravings and how you feel for the rest of the day. I thought it was interesting. You even talked about, I mean, again, I, I, I don't make bread a part of my regular part of my diet, but even the difference of bread with, let's say, a butter or a nut butter on it, having something fat, that the glucose spike is less than just toast on its own. So you give a lot of examples of how to do this and meals. And again, it it makes it very, very simple in that you can just deconstruct your plate. And if you think about it, ultimately, even if you go to a restaurant now, they usually say, would you like to start with a salad? I do think we have things Mm -hmm. woven into our traditions that make perfect sense as to why we do them. Dessert obviously is always at the end that, you know, it's like why we use salt and pepper because you can absorb some of the nutrients better. So I think we have things that were laid out for us originally. Obviously we weren't eating so many processed foods, but it was like, start with salad, you know, then you had your main course, but do you personally, I'm just interested, um, and and personally, if you kind of still try to keep certain foods, just not on your plate that often, you personally, your practice. So,
0: it it is not an effort anymore because mm. I used to be on such a glucose roller coaster that I would crave any cookie, any chocolatey thing I would come across during my day. So I would grab these processed foods because I my body was just telling me to get them because I was having this glucose crash. Yeah. And now that my glucose is steady, I don't crave those things anymore. So I don't even have to, you know, force myself to not eat them. I just simply don't want them anymore. And when I do want to eat something like something really chocolatey, like a chocolate cake or whatever, I love chocolate. Then I get the chance to be really um, specific about which one I want to eat, get it maybe for tomorrow, I'll order, order that nice chocolate mousse I love, you know, and it becomes this joyful thing instead of feeling like I'm controlled by the compulsion to eat these processed sugary foods. So it's completely changed my relationship. And I didn't realize that it was possible. I thought my whole life I would feel guilty about eating sugary stuff. I thought that it was always going to be like that. And now I'm like, "Oh, my gosh, it's a completely
1: different world." Actually, it's it's amazing. Well, it's twofold. You you said it. It's like you've diminished the the cravings, but also you have a strategy. And I think part of eating those foods is is to enjoy them, and I I think when we have this kind of relationship where it's like oh i'm i'm going to do this as a choice and i'm going to really enjoy it versus i'm hungry this is i'm just going to shove it in my mouth and continue i think there's so many there's so many upcycles I really want to just kind of break down sugar because you're mm. like listen honey maple s- syrup table sugar ultimately it's it kind of reacts all the same in the body.
0: It does. Yeah, so you know how I explained that table sugar is half glucose and half fructose? That's actually the exact same for honey, for agave syrup, for maple syrup, for coconut sugar, for brown sugar, whatever. They're all just glucose and fructose molecules. And to your body, they're not processed differently if they came from super white refined sugar or if they came from honey. It still causes glucose and fructose spikes in our body. But we have this health halo around like agave, around honey, around maple syrup, often because of the antioxidant properties. And so I did my research. I was like, is this really true? Does honey really have that many antioxidants? And it turns out that it doesn't. There are as many antioxidants in a tablespoon of honey as there are in half a blueberry. So if you want antioxidants, eat berries, eat fruit. That'll give you way more without the huge glucose and fructose spikes. But in any case, now that we know this, Pick whatever sugar you want. If you love honey, have it, but for pleasure, you know, have these sweet things for pleasure, not thinking that they're adding all these health benefits because they're not.
1: Yeah, that was a little, that was, I was a little bummed about that. Um.
0: I know. (laughs) And everybody is honestly. And, but I have to, I have to communicate the truth. I have to tell you what the
1: science says. I know people get bummed, but it's the case. Important. This is about giving people the power. That's all. Yeah, And and when we lived more naturally, we did things intuitively and we didn't need this, but now we live in a different world, so we need a different understanding. And fructose, if I'm not mistaken, it can only be stored as fat.
0: Yeah, that's one of the issues too, is that fructose essentially ends up as fat, whereas glucose can be used for energy, can be stored in your muscles and in your liver. Fructose is the main driver of fatty liver disease because it accumulates in your liver as fat.
1: So I'm not going to give all your hacks away, but I will. There's one that, so for example, I train a lot. And so if I was going to eat certain foods, I would eat it right after I train because they talk about the muscles sort of being more open and they can absorb the glucose more readily. You have a hack where it's like after you eat, the impact of just taking a 10-minute walk, the glucose spike is significantly different.
0: Yeah, so it works both ways. Essentially – the best time to eat something sweet is either before or after you exercise so that it's used by your muscles as energy. So if you really love honey and you want, you know, your daily honey tea, have it before you go for a walk, before you exercise, before you clean your apartment, that's a that's a cool hack. And then for the walking after meals, that's a really simple one and give people because your muscles as they contract, even if it's just 10 minutes of walking, even if it's just dancing to your favorite song, playing with your kids, whatever. Your muscles are going to be soaking up glucose from your bloodstream to create energy so you will reduce the glucose spike of the meal you just ate you'll reduce all of the negative consequences of a big glucose spike by just doing that and you mentioned the thing about traditions and actually you know culturally we kind of knew all this stuff there's this indian tradition of 100 steps after dinner. Uh, which is exactly that hack, you know, walk after your meals, because it'll help you process the meal better, you'll have a smaller spike, and you won't feel as tired as you used to. I used to have food comas, you know, like the post meal, like sleepiness. And with the walking after meals, that's completely gone, because I don't have such a big glucose crash. So I don't need to take a nap.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I think, you know, imagine if we had kids at school, like if they had lunch and then they could just go outside and play before they were put back in the classroom. Yes. I, I just think all these little things that are, are, they don't take much time and they can just really change the trajectory of how you experience the, the rest of the day. What about, um, you know, stevia? People ask me, they always wanna know, okay, so in the grand scheme of it, I mean, I've eaten a leaf and that's very different, obviously, but if you have these drops, You know, I know there's sort of some conflicting ideas around stevia. So artificial sweeteners,
0: and I'm going to go into the different types, are always going to be a better option than having the real sugar. Because, yeah, because the real sugar, even though you feel like, oh, it's real, it's natural, is actually causing a lot of harm in your body. Sweeteners have gotten a bad rep, but I think... People forget to compare them to the the alternative, which is regular sugar, which is much worse for you. So, in the world of sweeteners, the best options are stevia, allulose, monk fruit, erythritol. Those are the ones that we know don't cause glucose or insulin spikes. They seem to be handled pretty well by most people. Yes, sweeteners can increase a little bit your cravings. Some may cause issues to your microbiome. But again, in a, at a much smaller scale than the regular table sugar or the maple syrup or the agave or the brown sugar that you would have instead. So there you have it. Are you a big Stevia person?
1: I'm not. Um, I just, you know, I try to minimize all of that stuff. But yeah. I have a very good friend who loves like Zevia and Stevia. And there's like an ongoing debate in my house. <laughs> so he was like, we really need to find out about Stevia because <laughs> uh, my husband is is pretty intense about all of this, and uh, he he's like, I, if it tastes that sweet, it just there's something there's something's got to be you know wrong with it, and and I was like, maybe that's true, you know, like maybe there's no gimmies in life, but I was like, well, we can find out uh, what. Well, I mean, what it is. It's 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 okay to it's okay to have
0: them. Of course, it's better to not have anything that tastes sweet because that way you're not training your brain and your body to to crave it, but. Right. Stevia is a better option than table sugar, yeah.
1: Okay, I know someone who's going to be happy about that. I want Yay. to say to people that you, it's statistically like how, in the order in how we eat our food, that you can get an insulin spike um, down by 43% and a glucose spike mm-hmm. down by 78%. So this is not mm-hmm. some like, oh, it's 5% better. This is, is real. So I, I really encourage people to uh, to, give it a, to give that an experiment and, and see for themselves exactly because often gabby when we're hungry we always go for the
0: carbs first at least i know that was my you know the bread on the oh. table before the meal oh, my gosh do they do that that's the us? worst thing to do i know oh, i know why yeah because they want to i feed think, you why because they trigger you to I, eat more. i don't know i think that actually yeah i think <laughs> you're right i think that if you have bread at the beginning of your meal on an empty stomach it's going to make a big glucose spike yeah and then 90 minutes later when the main course is done or whatever you're going to have a glucose crash. So you're going to be hungry again and have cravings. And that's right around the time they bring out the dessert menu. And all of a sudden, all the desserts look really good. But what I do now is I keep the bread for after the main. So I always order a vegetable-based starter and then whatever main I like. And then after the main, if I want to have the bread, that's the best time because you want to do... Margie's first, proteins and fat second, and starches and sugars last. Huge difference. It's hard to resist, but you don't have to give it up.
1: You just save it for later. I have a rule about it. I call it the breadbasket rule that when I go to a restaurant um, and I say this about life, I decide, I have to decide. I have to say today, tonight, I will not be eating the bread. Um, Mm. Because if if I sit without making the decision and then they put it in front of me, uh, typically... I'm going to go for it. So it's like, because yeah. that becomes the mindlessness part of it, right? The impulse. And so I actually call it the breadbasket decision because I'm like, when I sit down, if I, I have to say, okay, have I made this decision? And it sounds silly, but it's just, um again, bringing awareness to situations. And it's not about, puni- I'm not trying to punish myself. I've just done it enough times to go, it seems to work better if I do this. And, and speaking of that, you talk about, um, you know, kind of maybe avoiding snacking too, too much, letting the digestive process. So this falls in line when people do either intermittent fasting or, or you know, things like that. So I also think if you're eating your food in order, avoiding the spike, you're actually going to be less hungry. And then you give that other process a little bit more time.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So one of my hacks is if you want to eat something sweet have it as dessert not as a snack in between meals so if you're walking past a bakery and you find a really tasty looking something sweet buy it but don't eat it right then and there save it for dessert after your next meal that way you give your body more time in the state where it's not post eating so your body can repair can recuperate your insulin levels lower And then if you have the sweet thing after your meal, it's going to create much less of a glucose spike. So you're going to still be eating the same thing, but with less consequences on your health.
1: And the last hack I just, I want to bring up is, is vinegar. I, I like cider vinegar. I know that all the vinegars, a lot of, they're all in play, but maybe you could just share how you're using vinegar as a, as a tool as well.
0: Absolutely. So The amount of clinical trials and science on this is quite remarkable. I didn't really know that it was such a researched compound. So vinegar, if you have a tablespoon of it in a really tall glass of water, I kind of have it in like these, you know, water bottles, I mean, bigger than a glass, I just dilute it more. And if you drink it before a meal, you can reduce the glucose spike of the meal by 30% just by having this pre-meal vinegar drink. Pretty amazing result. and You might wonder how the heck does that work? Well, inside vinegar, there's a molecule called acetic acid. Acetic acid is very cool, and it does two things. The first thing it does is that it slows down the breakdown of starches into glucose. So if you're eating bread, it'll be broken down slower into individual glucose molecules. So the glucose will arrive slower into your bloodstream. And then second, acetic acid goes to your muscles and it tells your muscles, hey, Gabby's muscles, absorb more glucose as it arrives into the bloodstream and store it as energy for later when we're going to need to contract and use it. So acetic acid, when it's in your body, is helping you flatten your glucose spike by telling your muscles to absorb glucose as it lands in your bloodstream. As a result, 30% smaller glucose spike. And in the studies, they've tested this on many different groups of people. They did studies on people with diabetes, showing that just adding this vinegar drink a few times a day helps people get their diabetes into remission. There's a small study that was done on women with polycystic ovarian syndrome, which is highly linked to glucose spikes, showing that this vinegar drink a few times a day could help them get their period back, even get pregnant. It's really powerful. I mean, it's as powerful as the other hacks, uh, but it's probably the most uh, surprising one. (laughs) Yeah, because you don't have to change anything. Just add the drinks and it really helps.
1: Yeah. And I, uh, you know, people have been talking about vinegar, but I think always that people go, oh, it's could you do it in a shot? Like if you go, hey, I'm not going to drink a whole drink with vinegar. Would it be as effective to just say I'm going to just knock it out and be be done with it?
0: Yeah, it would be, but <laughs> it's possible that drinking a shot of vinegar is not good for the enamel of your teeth. So that's the only thing. That's why it's recommended that you dilute it and even recommended that you drink it with a straw. If you want to do a shot, maybe drink the shot through a straw so that the vinegar doesn't touch your teeth. To your <laughs> that's, that's a hack. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it still works the same. You can even drizzle the vinegar on your vegetable starter. You don't have to drink it. You can incorporate it as
1: part of your starter, for example, and it works just the same. Great. So on the, on the last part about insulin, if your insulin is elevated, you share that you cannot burn fat. Is that right? Yeah. Did I get that right? Yeah. Yeah, you did. So that becomes weight loss becomes, I mean, so it's, it's again, just really connecting people to the importance of all of these hormones and all of these things and what's happening when we get out of whack, isn't just that single part of the equation, how it impacts everything else. So I just, um, you know, wanted to, to bring that out. So a couple, I have a few performance questions that I fielded from people. One of them is in the sauna, A lot of times people Mm -hmm. will go in the sauna, and I don't know if it's because you're sweating and your blood's getting thicker, I'm not sure, but um, I'm just going to ask you some things that people uh, were interested in trying to connect and understand because they are monitoring their glucose. Yes, let's do it. Okay, so I had a female bodybuilder who's encouraged to eat carbs pre and post-workout that the spike in insulin was good for hypertrophy and i was I, I this is way out of my league will that n- negatively impact and if you don't know you don't know but these are just some questions for people who are a little more high performance um what you think about that is maybe because the muscles are working so much they they're not impacted the same
0: yeah you know i'm i don't really know i'm not a huge performance okay. expert what i do know is that If you're trying to refuel after a big workout and to eat carbs, you can actually do that without a glucose spike if you add veggies and a bit of protein to it because, yes, it's good to give carbs back to your muscles after you work out, but a glucose spike is still not going to be that amazing. So have a bit of vegetables first if you can or add some fiber to whatever protein or carb smoothie you're making and try to make it a bit more balanced. You don't have to just load your system with a huge glucose spike to get the benefits.
1: Okay. And I think that's a lot of times when people are trying to keep size. This is what they're, Mm. you know, they're having this fine scale, which I think, listen, I think anything that you do to an extreme in the end, there's a, you're paying a little bit of a price, whatever it is, even if it's the stuff, like, I mean, people who play sports, repetitive motion, there's a price for that. I think people trying to be bigger than the frame really wants, can carry Um, Mm -hmm. uh, hypoglycemic during sleep when everything else is normal. Have you heard of this?
0: Yes. So there's two reasons for this. Sometimes at night, if you're wearing a glucose monitor, the sensor will read low because you're kind of sleeping on it or you're doing something weird to it. And it's not a real, real low. So unless you're having big symptoms like waking up in the middle of the night with heart palpitations or sweating or nausea, it might just be a false alarm. Second, at night, we need less glucose. So your body is going to be pushing out less during nighttime. So it's actually normal that your glucose levels are lower at night. And finally, if you're somebody who has a lot of glucose spikes during the day, your body is going to be releasing a lot of insulin during the day to deal with those glucose spikes. And then at night, that might turn into low. So if you don't have any symptoms, you're probably fine. Flatten your glucose curves during the day. See if that goes away. But not a huge cause for alarm, unless you're dropping, you know, in the fifties or lower sixties. In which case, talk to a doctor.
1: Right. You, we, we haven't talked about the relationship of stress uh, to the spikes. You know, so when people stress out, you can also have a spike. Is that? absolutely
0: so in your body there's this reaction that when you're stressed your body thinks you're gonna have to run away from a tiger and so it dumps all this glucose into your blood to feed your muscles because it thinks okay we're gonna have to sprint better get some glucose ready for those muscles to use and i experienced this myself i was running a glucose monitor and i gave this big presentation in front of like 300 people and i was very stressed out and then i checked my glucose Monitor and I had gotten a huge spike into uh, up to like 180, but a very sharp, very narrow spike. So that is real. Stress can increase your glucose levels 100%. And oftentimes it's just that natural reaction to the fight or flight mode. So, what you can do for that, try to calm your nervous system when something stressful happens afterwards, you know, breathing, tapping, grounding, whatever.
1: Yeah, that's, I think, just easily, you know, two minutes of down-regulating breathing. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if people just, they can do box breathing, or as long as the exhale is is longer than the inhale, I think within about two minutes, you can get yourself in, into your, um, you know, parasympathetic. So I think it, that's a good tool. But it's just, it, I think it's just a great reminder. You know, everyone jokes like stress is the number one killer, but we're so accustomed to living with stress. Like we're all in a hurry and we have so many things we're doing. And I think that it's just an important reminder to say to people, you know, this, that never is helping. And it usually doesn't enhance. I'm not better. I'm not performing better because I'm flipping out. Mm. Um, My favorite is to watch myself do that. I don't know if you've been in that situation. And usually it's with my kids. I'm not going to lie. Or it's some knucklehead and work where it's just like it's too much mm. knucklehead bullshit for me. And then I just am like this person, you know. And I watch myself yeah. like, oh, you're letting that make you freak out. And and it's that willingness to bite into it fully. Like, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm going to freak out and I'm going to just go all the way. And, and it is very... Mm-hmm interesting to watch when you know um there's a whole wave of hormones that happen in your body when that happens so it's like you kind of lose control yeah Mm -hmm. 15 seconds of like yeah look how tough and stressed out i am and it damages you for like the next six hours it's really Mm -hmm. i don't know i feel like i should have learned that lesson by now (laughs) people who stop drinking alcohol get sugar radical sugar cravings um really Oh yeah, because it's also, if you think about it, your glucose might not spike, but I think you are, have a sugar addiction. Uh, Mm. And then it's interesting because if you go to AA meetings, all they have there is like coffee and sugary donuts and things like that. I experienced that even with my husband, he stopped drinking wine altogether. He was drinking an excess of it and he, and he's a person who doesn't really eat dessert and he had an excess sugar cravings. So it's an interesting thing when you're talking about this. So, I would just say, based on the hacks you already gave us, for someone who's going through this and saying, Hey, I'm not going to drink anymore, that definitely be on your sequence of eating. And if you still have the sugar craving, at least just have it at the end.
0: Have it at the end, or, and also, Add on the hacks because it's one thing to have a sugar craving. It's another thing to eat the sweet thing and start a glucose roller coaster that will intensify cravings. So in order to eat the sweet thing without getting on this cycle that you can't get off of, don't eat the sweet thing on an empty stomach. So if you're you don't have time, have some almonds, a piece of ham, half an egg, whatever. Then have a vinegar drink if you can. Eat Mm -hmm. the sweet thing and then go for a walk or move your body. That way you'll still have the pleasure and the satisfaction from having eaten it, but inside you're not creating this biological
1: response that's going to make you crave something else in two hours. I think that's a very important point. So there's people who talk about when they're fasting, their blood sugar gets higher, 100 to 110, but they're not diabetic and they were just curious. It's hard for me to comment on specific okay. numbers. Fair enough. Um,
0: it's hard for me to comment on specific numbers because it can depend on so many things, But you know, fasting glucose levels, so your glucose levels when you're not eating, they can really vary depending on how stressed you are, for example, how hydrated, dehydrated you are. I have experience with fasting glucose levels because when I was 24, 24, my fasting glucose was 96, which is quite high, almost in the pre-diabetic range. And now it's seventy nine. So just keep in mind that fasting glucose is something you can change. It will might take some time. Just use the hacks, stay consistent, and slowly it'll fall.
1: But to that specific question, I don't know. Fair. I, I don't know enough about the person. Yeah. Somebody was curious if you had an opinion about metformin and uh, uh, berberine, berberine, and if you had opinions about that.
0: So metformin, I don't have an opinion on. That's, you know, that's a drug that a doctor needs to prescribe. When it comes to supplements like berberine, like mulberry leaf extracts, like all of these other stuff, they actually seem to work pretty well. Cinnamon as well. But
1: you often have to take them for a long time for them to work. Um, So they don't, it's not like right away. It sort of has this cascading effect.
0: Yeah. Mulberry leaf seems to be right away. It's kind of the same thing as vinegar. There are no real downsides to to trying these out. I'm not a big, like, crazy supplement experimenter. I like few simple things that I can do easily every day. But if it floats your boat, why not? Because the studies seem to show benefits.
1: Okay, we're, we have just a few more. People who, are, you know, everyone's ketosis and all of these things. So someone wanted to know how you felt about exogenous uh, ketones on the blood sugar because that's sort of become popular you know those drinks that it's like you gotta get them down yeah
0: You're that's your- a, like an oh, even more God. extreme version that's an even more extreme version of trying to get into ketosis mm-hmm. I don't know guys I'm not a real fan of this stuff like ketosis keto diet it's very extreme it's hard to maintain for most people most of us are not even in ketosis when we think we are it's really really hard to get very into difficult. ketosis yeah For women of reproductive age, it can really mess up your hormones. For some people, it works great and they're super happy. But again, you can do a keto diet that is very unhealthy. You can go keto with highly processed keto products with no nutritional value that will cause issues to your body. So if you're trying to get the benefits of stable blood sugar, use my hacks because they're based on whole foods and easy things that are sustainable, not something extreme that could cause stress in the long term.
1: Yeah. So just, you mean everything is about the long-term and about a real practice? You can't just hack your way to perfect health? That's not possible? Uh, Yeah. yeah, yeah. (laughs) So the last um, two, we know exercise really can impact uh, your glucose levels, consistent exercise and sleep. This is a big one because let's say you're doing a lot of the right things, but if you're not resting well, I think don't, can't you still have negative, you can, your glucose spikes can still be,
0: they can. So the the more tired you are, the less well your body will be able to handle glucose spikes. So when you're tired, it's just like a lot of stuff works slowly. So there's something you can do if you've just woken up from a bad night's sleep, do 10 minutes of exercise, get a video on YouTube, like 10 minute, you know, it's, whatever interval training, something, because that'll wake up your body and help your muscles become more receptive to glucose coming down through the rest of the day. So that's an easy hack. But yes, I mean, sleep impacts glucose levels. If you have too many glucose spikes, you don't sleep well. So they're kind of in this symbiotic relationship where they impact
1: each other. I like how you, you shared that coffee, when you're rested, you have less of a glucose spike versus coffee when you're tired. Um, which I, it's, there's an, a beautiful irony in that. Um, absolutely. So the last of the performance questions is I have, I have friends who it's not as easy, especially in the U S to get a CGM. And so she was just wondering if you had any tips for that. And also we can't really get, uh, what is it called? Dexcom. The, um, it's, it's, that's another type of CGM. Yeah. Yes, and I feel like it measures more, right? Like, doesn't it measure not only your glucose, but um, mm, it, no? So,
0: the the Dexcom glucose monitor seems to be a bit more accurate. It's also much more expensive. But yeah, in the US, to get any glucose monitor, you need a doctor's prescription. And I get mine in France because in France they're over the counter.
1: Yeah, you can just so walk there, into a pharmacy and get. An act, act, and, like, let's say someone's pretty I, healthy and they're not di- they don't have diabetes can they just say to their doctor, hey, listen, I'm trying to... I mean, I'm just curious if there's an easier way.
0: They can try, but in my experience, doctors don't really tend to prescribe glucose monitors unless you have a medical indication. (laughs) But, Gabby... I know. (laughs) Yeah, but, you know, if you're a bit patient, things are starting to change. There are companies that are making glucose monitors for the wellness world. And even if you're able to get a glucose monitor now it's a bit confusing to interpret the data. You might get lost in like the numbers and is it significant that it goes from 85 to 89, you know, the 100, 110 question, accuracy, all this stuff. So it's just not completely ready yet. I think we're going to see a lot of exciting stuff in the next 18 months. I can't share everything, but um, stay tuned.
1: Okay. So finally, I just want to end this because I was observing, you know, when doing my homework, you're, you're probably, this is probably a surprising place that you've landed on, that this is what you're doing, that you've written this book, and you're sort of this becoming a person who represents this. You know, what has that been like for you? Because, you know, you're, you're smart and you probably had some other trajectories and um, maybe the unexpected accident and some other things uh, mm-hmm. shifted that. But I just wondered for you, when you sort of think about what you're spending your days doing as mm-hmm. your work, what that's like for you.
0: Thanks for that question. That's really that's a really nice question. I feel like the idea of glucose and explaining glucose to people, I feel like the idea sort of picked me and now I'm trying to do it justice. Mm
1: -hmm. And of
0: course, it's a complicated relationship. Like some days I do not want to talk about glucose anymore. Other days I'm super excited about it. But mostly it gives me great joy to see that, you know, I'm doing a good job and it's helping people. And that's the biggest motivator of them all. But I'm not just going to do glucose my whole life. I have you know, other long-term things I want to work on. But it feels really good to be in this space. I feel like the universe is helping me get this message to more and more people. I get to meet amazing people like you. I mean, it's pretty sweet. I'm not going to complain. But it's it's a lot of things. It's beautiful. It's stressful. Sometimes it's boring and annoying. Sometimes it's elating. It's it's everything. It's a it's a
1: whole experience. I think that's a realistic definition of all the things that we pursue that it's it's so many things and they're all part of whatever it is whether it's our work or our lives that uh, there's days that it's hard there's days that you're like oh this was this was a good day there was flow yeah. there's days where you're like oh what am i doing and then and then finally you know i also and i think a lot more people are doing this but in in certain ways you've you've put yourself out there right like you're communicating and what and what i what i really observed and appreciated was that you you're talking about scientific scientific information. You're all about the science, you give the data, but somehow you didn't bite the hook that you felt like you had to be wearing like a white stiff coat that you're, you know, I see your beautiful white nails. Like it's this interesting thing where you're doing it uniquely your way. But within that, it's almost like you can leave yourself vulnerable for people uh, to, to sort of say, oh, well, you know, why would you put a rainbow over your head when you're giving data?" You know, it's like the data's there, the work is there, the yeah. intention is yeah. there, but someone's still going to be mad that you chose like a dancing rainbow over your head. So I guess <laughs> the question is, how, first of all, how do you have the, just the courage to say, you know what, I am going to do this, but I'm still going to do it as me. And then how mm. do you manage? Because it's one thing when we put on a mask and people criticize. It's another thing when we're really being ourselves and they have a you know opinion so what is your how do you i think all the rainbow and
0: fun stuff that's just me and i actually found out that if i wanted to reach a lot of people and make science interesting it was an asset to make it colorful and sexy and funny and just all the things that i've put into my instagram And now I'm reaching people who would have probably never read a post by a person in a white coat. So it's become an asset. But I also protect myself. You know, I don't show my life on Instagram. Nobody knows where I live, who my friends are, like what I do. So I've put that boundary for myself because I think it's really important because otherwise you're so exposed. And I try to keep it as much about science as possible while bringing in as much of myself as I need to to get people to emotionally connect with the content and then want to try it and feel better. So it's a fine, delicate balance, but it's, it's a dance. It's a dance, but yeah, the nails, the rainbow, it makes me happy. Like if I didn't have the nails and the rainbow, I would be super bored. And I think a lot of people would be bored too. So I'm keeping them forever.
1: Well, and I think at the end of the day, you can peel it all back and the information is there. So, Mm -hmm. uh, the, the root is there. And if you're trying to have a little more fun or make it playful, I think, um, it's just, I guess my point of even bringing this up was just to remind people that we might be in pursuit of something and we might choose to do it just a little bit differently and to trust yeah. that. And it's scarier because you're looking and you're saying, well, most people are approaching this sort of more serious or what have you. So I just want to use that as an example, because I think there's a lot of people who they want to communicate a certain way and they have a specific way they do it. And that is oftentimes scary. And we, we, people put, we put ourselves up for criticism anyway, so it doesn't, it doesn't really matter.
0: We do. But also what I learned, Gabby, is that the only people who will criticize and be like, why are you sticking your tongue out? Why are you doing the rainbow thing? Are people who themselves are not free and are not able to be themselves. Anybody who's free and who's fully just happy to be themselves will never criticize somebody else for being original or for being a bit fun. So, you know, take it all with a grain of salt, be yourself, remember that, have fun. Like guys, we're on a floating rock (laughs) that's going super quickly through space around the giant ball of fire. Have some fun. It's not that serious. We're talking monkeys. It's like, it's crazy.
1: (laughs) Enjoy it. And that's, and that's, that's right. So, so let's everybody, you know, the book is the glucose revolution. You could, I listened to an audible and, um, and there's a physical book. And uh, Glucose Goddess, you can go and get tons of information and be part of if you have questions, you guys are a great community to one another. And also eat your food in order. Try that. Just try that. Just eat food in order. Just experiment. And I always remind people to be your own biggest advocate. How do you feel? Ask yourself and ask those questions. And um, I just I really appreciate the book. And I'm excited to see what you're going to do next. And did I forget anything? Do you want to wrap it out with anything or, or say anything.
0: No, I just want to thank you actually, Gabby, for having me on and for your kind words and for everything that you're doing. It's, it's a real honor and pleasure. So I hope we get to meet in person soon.
1: Yeah. Thank you, Jesse, for your time. Aloha. Thanks so much for listening. And if you'd like rate, subscribe, and leave us a review All of my music was graciously done by Frank Zumo and Tom Thacker. If you want to see some of the behind the scenes action, just follow me at Gabby Reese. And remember, don't miss new episodes every Monday.